0: Do you know where your heart is? Pastor Xavier Reese with the simple truth. Christ is superior to all men. Christ
1: is superior to all men. Worship no one, not your wife, not your husband, not your children, not your car, not your house, not your bank account, and most of all, not you. Worship Christ. Colossians 2, 9 says, In Him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In Him you are complete. Jesus, period, and nothing
0: else. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. The Transfiguration of Christ was a mountaintop experience that no doubt changed the lives of the three apostles that witnessed it. And in addition, is it any wonder that it also changed Peter's outlook on the world around him so much that he was content to leave it all behind, as they say, in favor of savoring the moment? But as much as the experience did come to an end, making the Lord first priority in our lives is but one of the many simple truths Pastor Xavier highlights in the conclusion of his study, Jesus glorified on the Mount of Transfiguration. Let's listen. Matthew chapter 17 verses 1 through 13.
1: We want to look to three things regarding these 13 verses. The first is the glorification at the Transfiguration verses 1 and 2. Secondly, the conversations at the Transfiguration, verses 3 through 8. And then we want to finish up with the proclamation due to the Transfiguration, verses 9 through 13. Now, the disciples involved are the inner circle, Peter, James, and John. Now, they had seen Jairus' daughter raised from the dead. They would also be privileged enough to see the Lord in His Passion at the Garden of Gethsemane. And here now, they're going to be privileged enough to see the Lord transfigured. The transfiguration of Jesus was into his glorified state. Verse two says he was transfigured before them; uh, his face shined like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. The word transfigured is the word metamorpho. We get our word metamorphosis from it—to change form, literally. But the form and the change is from the inside out. Jesus did not lay his body aside, and then take on the form of God. But he and his human body was transfigured, metamorphosed from the inside out, a glorification of Jesus Christ completely, revealing who he was and who he had always been before his incarnation. Who was he? God. Verses 3 through 8, we move on to the conversations at the transfiguration. The first one is Moses and Elijah speaking with Jesus in verse 3. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them talking with Jesus. Mark the distinction. They appeared to the disciples, but they spoke to Jesus. Moses and Elijah did not speak to the disciples. They spoke to Jesus, yet they appeared to the disciples. That must have blown their mind. For Elijah... Had been dead 900 years and Moses 1400. And by dead, meaning he left this earth because Elijah never died, he was transfigured. But here I have a beautiful type, two types from these two men. First of all, Moses represents the law, Elijah represents the prophets. Who are they speaking to? Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. Both of these are there before the disciples and they're speaking to Jesus. What are they speaking to him about? The conversation was about his decease, which was going to be accomplished at Jerusalem. Luke 9.31 tells us that. The word decease speaks and means exodus. It was speaking about his going to Jerusalem, dying on the cross, going to the grave, going down to Hades, being raised from the dead. It spoke of victory, redemption. As much as the exodus of Egypt spoke of victory and redemption. The conversation also regarded the things of the kingdom. Jesus says they would see him coming in his kingdom. They would not die physically before they would see Jesus coming back in his kingdom. How could that be? They all died physically. Jesus hasn't come back. Where they see that? Up at the Mount of Transfiguration. If you will, they saw the second coming of Christ in capsule form. A sneak preview, if you will. In that present time, they saw future things. God allowed them to see as God sees in past, present, and future of the kingdom all at one time. The things to come. The next conversation between Peter and the Lord. Peter speaks to Jesus in verse 4. Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Doesn't Peter sound spiritual? We, we dress up our, our, our vocabulary, our conversation with spiritual decor to appear spiritual before Men, but God sees clear through it. It teaches us three things about Peter. Number one, Peter wanted to prolong the experience, and I can't blame him. It would have been tremendous. But remember, every mountaintop experience will come to an end. You go to a retreat, God deals with you. You spend some time on your own and God meets you some morning. But you know what? You've got to come down from that mountain. Jesus came down from the Sermon on the Mountain and the leopard met him. Jesus is going to come down from here to the Transfiguration. There's going to be a demon-possessed boy and the disciples can't cast him out. We live down at the foot of the mountain. We do not live on the top of the mountain. We have those experiences, but that's not where we live, people. But there are places where we get taught some very important things. And we shouldn't forget them on the way down. Secondly, Peter was only thinking of the three disciples, not the nine, that were down at the foot of the mountain. It is good for us. We get so wrapped up about us in the immediate at the exclusion of others. Thirdly, Peter made the mistake of giving equality to Moses and Elijah that belonged only to Jesus Christ. Three tabernacles. Moses, Elijah, you, Lord. No wrong, Peter you're going to make a tabernacle, make one for Jesus. He's the only one. These other two are just men, servants of God. The one is God who serves man. Big difference. Jesus is the Son of the living God. Peter just said that in the previous chapter. The next conversation is the Father as he speaks to the three disciples, verses 5 and 6. Behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the clouds, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. Three things the Father says. They're instructional for the disciples and for us. First, this is my beloved Son. What does the Father mean by this? Put it in the context of what Peter has just said. The Father is saying, Don't worship men, but worship my Son. In whom I am well pleased. That means, my son has never, ever failed me. Men always do. All men and women fail God. They're imperfect. Thirdly, and most important, hear him. In this, he says, he is the epitome and the ultimate revelation of God. And what he says is my word. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us that God is set to be the Word, and the Word reveals God. For that reason, it is important that you know the Scriptures and follow the Scriptures and obey the Scriptures, not a man, not a church, not a movement. Jesus says, you do err not knowing the Scriptures nor the power of God. Do you know the Scriptures? Can you defend your faith to a Mormon, to a Jehovah Witness? Can you defend your faith and proclaim your Lord to a pagan, to an atheist? Do you know the scriptures? So, the declaration was instructional. They were to learn the last conversation we find in verses 7 through 8. Jesus speaks to the disciples. He says, But Jesus came and he touched them and said, Arise. And do not be afraid. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. I like that. Notice first that Jesus comforts them by his words and his touch. What a contrast to Mount Sinai. Moses could speak to God, but he was not touched by God. Here these men are touched by God. God put His hand over His face and let Him see His afterglow. These men, God touches them and He comforts them by His Word and His touch. Do you know Jesus Christ is able to comfort you by His Word and His touch? And every one of us have heard His voice and every one of us have been touched by Him. I've never seen Him physically, but I know He's touched me. For I'm not the same man that I used to be before 1973. And thank God I'm not what I'm going to be. I'm in progress and I'm in process. A day at a time, decreasing and becoming more like Jesus Christ. Notice He is the only one to be seen and obeyed. When they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Underline that. Who do you see when you go to church? Do you see a man? Who do you see when you go see a Christian concert? Who do you see when you get into the study of the Word of God? Who do you see as you're walking around the world from day to day? You should be seeing only Jesus. Anybody apart from Jesus is bad news. There's too much pastor worship and church worship, as I've said. For that reason, the Christian community is open to heresy today. For that reason, because we have the wrong agenda about the kingdom as well as the king, we can be open to Reconstructionism theology, to kingdom theology, where we are getting better and we're going to get politicians in the White House and we need to conquer ground and take back ground and all that. Well, that sounds good, but it's not in the Scriptures. Therefore, we are open to also the heresy of positive confession, name it and claim it, nab it and grab it, they're preaching another gospel. Can you detect that? Psychology, quote, quote, Christian, it's another gospel. Can you detect that? You go to Jesus, He'll take care of you. You crucify your flesh, you'll come out okay. You start pampering your flesh and taking care of it, yeah, you're going to start stinking. <laughs> because you know what happens to meat? It rots. It doesn't preserve man. It rots. Verses 9 through 13, he moves on to the proclamation due to the transfiguration. Now as they came down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. And his disciples asked him, saying, Why then do the scribes say that Elijah must first come? Then Jesus answered and said to them, "Elijah truly is coming first and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah has come already, and they did not know him, but did to him whatever they wished. Likewise, the Son of Man is also about to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he spoke to them of John the Baptist. Notice first that Jesus declares the disciples are not to tell anyone about the vision till after his resurrection. He's already told them in chapter 16, verse 20, not to share about the fact that he was the Christ, the Son of the living God. What is Jesus doing? Because Jesus didn't want to be put on the throne because of the material success and the material benefits. He wanted to be put upon the throne because he was the Messiah that the Scriptures declare, not the Messiah that people perceived. Why have you put Jesus on the throne? Because you perceive him to be a genie? A bailout man? Or because you see him as a crucified Christ who will settle for nothing less than the crucifixion of your flesh and the transformation of your life. It's one of the two. You can't have both. Peter was true to this in the second epistle, chapter 1, verse 16 through 18. He shares there with us that he was up in the holy mountain. He saw, he was a witness to the transfiguration of Jesus Christ. But then he says, but we have a more sure word of prophecy regarding the Scriptures. They wouldn't have believed them anyway. They had a hard time with the resurrection as it was. <laughs> I imagine if they would have shared with the other nine when they got to the bottom, they would have said, oh, sure, yeah, you guys are up there smoking something or other. You know, they wouldn't believe them. There's no way. They kept the matter to themselves, questioning what the rising from the dead meant. Luke 9:10 says regarding this statement. They didn't understand the resurrection. They only heard the death. Again, like us. We're going through difficult times, we think it's all over. We're like Jonah. Oh Lord, kill me, take me home. <laughs> and we think that it's going to be the rest of our lives. We're just such a faithful servant to God. And if I have to, I'm just going to bear it. Come on. God has saved you to enjoy life, not to bear it. But the burden is so heavy under the burden. What are you doing under the load? Jesus says His burden is light. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. What are you doing under the load? It's not yours to bear. Notice that Jesus dispels the disciples' confusion about Elisha, verses 10 through 13. The confusion was understandable, for they had seen Elijah up in the mountain, and he had not yet come. Why then do the scribes say Elijah must first come? Verse 10. He was referring to Malachi, chapter 4, verse 4 and 5. So the confusion was understandable. There are certain things that we look at the Scriptures and we say, well, how can this be if that can be? We don't understand. Because we're limited. So it's understandable. But notice that the clear teaching of Scripture about Elijah was that he was still to come in the future. Verse 11. Jesus answered to them and said, Elijah truly is coming first and will restore all things, which means that he hasn't come yet. And yet the Scriptures are true in saying that He will come before the Messiah. Malachi 4, verse 4 and 5 again, and Revelation 11, 3 through 6. You have the two witnesses. One's Elijah, whether the other one is Moses, whether it's Enoch, whether it's uh, Zerubbabel, whether it's Daffy Duck or Donald Duck, it doesn't make any difference. There's going to be two people. One is Elijah. And it makes no difference. And they will be killed after three and a half days laying in the street and the Spirit of God will enter into them and the whole world will see them go straight up into heaven. So Elisha is yet to come. The clear teaching of Scripture is that he is still yet in the future. But notice also that the coming of Elisha had a direct fulfillment in part by John the Baptist. He says this clearly in verse 12. But I say to you that Elisha has already come. He's already come. In other words, the prophecy of Elijah was twofold. Short-term, long-term. Many of the prophecies of the Old Testament are like that. The 70 weeks of Daniel are like that. Many other prophecies. And so here you have now, John came in the power and the spirit of Elijah according to what Gabriel told Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, in Luke chapter 1, verse 17. He would come in the power and the spirit Spirit of Elijah. That's the first fulfillment. But notice also that John was not recognized, therefore they killed him. And then Jesus makes the interesting connection. He says, the Messiah will also suffer the same fate. They will kill him. I mean, it's heavy. Jesus is making the point of his death over and over and over again. Just in these two chapters, how many times? Why? They're not hearing it. They're not hearing it. And therefore, in verse 13, the disciples understood the Scriptures regarding Elijah and John. Remember in chapter 11, Jesus had already spoken highly of John as he was in jail and he sent his men to ask, are you the one that we look or we look for another? And Jesus exalted John. Jesus understood his confusion. It was understandable. He wasn't doubting. Jesus did not rebuke them for their confusion. It was understandable. Do you think that God is up there ready to slap you upside the head because you ask doubtful questions? You come with an open heart, sincere. Hey, He's got all the patience in the world, but you play games with Him, and He don't even give you His time. God is so patient with us, and He understands our frailty. We're but dust, and He deals with us accordingly. What an experience! I don't think these three disciples were ever the same, though they were not yet prepared for the kingdom. <laughs> they had a long way to go. A long way to go. There's some important lessons for us here as we observe this passage. There are four of them. The first one is our bodies will be glorified as Jesus' body was here. You got an absolute guarantee. He was man in human form. Went up, being God, He was glorified. Our bodies will be glorified. 1 John 3, 1-3 says, Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us, that even though it doesn't yet appear what we shall be, when we see Him, we shall be exactly as He is. Just like Him. Glorified. Secondly, the bodily resurrection is sure by Moses and Elijah. They were there on the mountain. I don't understand the physical resurrection. Christians tell me they understand it. I've heard people expound it. I don't think they understand it. Because the Bible tells me that I'm in this body. And 2 Corinthians 5, 1 tells me that when I die, I'm I'm in my eternal body. I'm never found naked. I'm in one or the other, the temporal, the eternal. And then the way people explain the resurrection is as Jesus returns, then our bodies are raised and our body is glorified. Well, that would make it a third body. I don't understand the resurrection but I don't worry about it. What I grab a hold of is 2 Corinthians 5.1. The minute I die, I'm instantly present before the Lord in my eternal body. But I do not deny the physical resurrection. What I tell you is I don't understand it. And I can buy that. <laughs> and so, the bodily resurrection is sure by Moses and Elisha. You can look that up in 1 Corinthians 15.50-58. 50 Thirdly, Christ is superior to all men. Christ is superior to all men. Worship no one. Not your wife, not your husband, not your children, not your car, not your house, not your bank account, and most of all, not you. You're the worst one for the candidate of God. Worship Christ. Colossians 2, 9 says, In Him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In Him you are complete, verse 10 says. It's Jesus, period, and nothing else. Fourth and last, what you don't understand in Scripture, ask Jesus to teach you. But understand that you will never understand everything in Scripture. And so, I have a lot of things off to the side, and I wait for further information. I don't know. But I never let what I don't know undermine what I do know. I stand on what I do know and God will honor that and so I pray that as God has dealt with you in this passage that you would be open to the lessons he has for you and that you would be transformed even as God has allowed you and myself to see Jesus how do we see Jesus? we see Jesus through one another's lives we're not the same people we see Jesus as we gather together and we are committed to the church we see Jesus as his love is just shed abroad in our heart and we reach out to the lost we see Jesus as we see that we have hope in this world though it's all going to hell on a fast rail we see Jesus because we recognize that no matter what happens we'll never be separated from him you see we are his body and in seeing the body we know Ahead, head, Christ Jesus.
0: Pastor Xavier Reese, reviewing the lessons we take away from the mountaintop experience on the Mount of Transfiguration. And if you'd like to obtain a copy of today's study, we'd love to make it available. Having your own copy is a great way to get the most out of this teaching titled, Jesus Glorified on the Mount of Transfiguration. Plus, it's a convenient way to pass along to a friend. It's available on CD for just $4. Again, ask for it by name, Jesus Glorified on the Mount of Transfiguration. Or let us know today's date when you write, Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And we really appreciate hearing the call letters of this station when you contact us too. And be with us next time for more Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese.